Hi, I'm Mario Evan, and you're listening to Talk Truth, a weekly inspired entertainment podcast discussing the things that most people are afraid to, but from a Jamaican perspective. From relationships, sex and sexuality, to the ins and outs of entrepreneurship, in this space we speak about almost anything with the intention to inspire, educate, entertain, and create a fair and balanced space where your truth shall become your power and set you free. Welcome family, you are listening to Talk Truth! You don't know already, this is your boy Mario Evan and this is episode number 24. But guess what? I just wanted to highlight a few of the episodes we've had for the beginning of season 2. And we have been having a lot of episodes about entrepreneurship but also people's journeys and wonderful things. We kicked it off with Tammy Chain episode 21 where we spoke, that's Tammy Chain Mitchell, get it right, where we spoke about finding your truth, you know, your personal truth. We had episode 22 with Kim Rickards and we spoke to her about living an intentional life, you know, having, having you know, intention in the things that you choose to do and how that pans out for you. Episode 23, I had Ayana Dixon, illustrator and designer um, of ASD. And she spoke to me about her journey as a fashion designer and an illustrator, which had lots of really interesting gems buried in, in the journey. And it really has gotten me into loving speaking to all these different guests and creating a platform for their stories. And what's the most exciting thing for me is that every time I interview a guest, when I started this out, I thought I would be kind of sharing their story to the world and the world would benefit from it but with each interview I unlock a piece of myself that I never ever knew so I learned so much from these guests who inspire me with their stories and they say and tell me things that cause me to think about new things and really reevaluate my life and the direction that I'm going in so thank you to all the people that have been willing to come and share this space with me the pleasure has really been totally mine and today on episode 24, we speak to a wonderful person who goes by the name of Lisa McLean. Lisa is an educator. She is a mother, but she's also now a self-published author. And she's about to release her third book. And today I speak to her about her journey as a self-published author, what self-publishing looks like, what her past in Jamaica was like, and how she ended up finding this new passion, and also how that ties in everything else that she's doing in life including being a mother so definitely keep it locked in this episode because it's really inspiring and touching as well i do apologize for the boominess of this episode because sometimes it's hard to really control the spaces that we record in and sometimes you know there's a lot of sound bouncing around if you have a big room a lot of technical stuff long and short as you'll hear it it's kind of boomy but you'll get used to it uh, more than anything lisa has a really cool story so check it out guys Guys, welcome to Talk Truth. It's another week. It's another Sunday. It's another wonderful guest. And with me today, I have none other than Lisa McLean. And as usual, I'm going to let my guest tell us a little bit about themselves. So Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mario. Thank you for having me. Um, um, yeah. I'm a little nervous. You shouldn't okay. be. First podcast. Um, but I'm, I'm excited for you. <laughs> I, I'm a mom. I'm a math teacher. I'm a dancer. Um, I think those are the, the most 
those are the things that define me and define my journey and influence most things that I do. And of course, out of those loves have emerged my love of writing. Right. So I'm now actually in the process of publishing my third book. Wait, you're on book number three? I am on book number three. Okay, all right. I think, all right, we'll get to the books. All right, so you're on book number three. So, and you are um, self-published, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a bit of what we're going to be talking about today. I'm sure there are a lot of my listeners who really want to write a book and want to kind of appreciate the process of that. Um, but before we get into that, tell me a bit about your background in Jamaica. Tell me about life in Jamaica. Okay, well, I mean, I'm born here. Yes. Grew up here in St. Andrew. Yes. Um, immaculate old girl from prep to high. Um, studied at UWE, um, studied history, thinking I was going to be a lawyer. <laughs> Took a gap year and fell in love with teaching when I went to work with my kindergarten teacher at Immaculate, Miss Teresa Menz, phenomenal teacher. That was it, as hoped. So 20 years later, um, I've taught multiple grades, but at this point I've settled into teaching math, which really has become um, just my favorite thing to teach, my favorite thing to introduce to students and develop a love for. So what about... um why did you let go of the law, the law, the law passion? Or was it a passion or was it a thought? I don't think it was a passion. I think it was something that was suggested when yeah. I was growing up. You know, the proverbial, you know, be a doctor, lawyer, Indian chief. Um, I did enjoy history. So I thought it was a profession that I would enjoy because it would have included a lot of reading, a lot of research. Um, I can't imagine why I didn't think of teaching because I used to teach a lot. Right. When I was studying, it was my part-time job at UWE. They have a, a science learning center up there. Yeah. Yeah. And go ahead. Around how old were you when you started to, to teach at that, at that point? I'd have been about 18. 18, right. right. Had you done any teaching prior to that? Maybe not so much, right? No, just the odd tutoring here and there or helping out in the classroom when I was in school. Nothing formal, though. And, of course, teaching is not the easiest profession at all. So it's not the one that's most encouraged because you also really have to be very savvy about managing your finances as well. Right. I was going to go there about that. In Jamaica, people have complained that teachers don't get a lot of pay mm-hmm. and all of these things, but it's such a noble profession as well. I think you have to love it. You do have to love it. Um, not just from the financial perspective, but the fact is you're dealing with people. You're dealing yeah. with children different personalities, um, different circumstances that they come to you with, you really have to be passionate about wanting to nurture children to be able to deal with the pressures that you can face on a daily basis. Right. All right. Well, that's a good segue to tell me a bit about your childhood. What was um, childhood like? Um, well, it was, it was fairly normal in many perspectives. I'm one of three. I'm the middle child. Um, I have a younger sister and an older brother. They were really my friends yeah. growing up, you know. That's who I played with. Which that's is good. They didn't I beat you up? With. No, no. You guys um, lived peacefully. I, yeah. And I, and I do have really fond memories of, you know, watching Michael Jackson. And you, you dance in the living room and you chill in or we'd head out in the backyard and figure out what we're going to use as a bat and a ball and play some cricket. Um, no, man, they were pretty cool. And we're pretty close in age, like three years apart. Right, right, right. Um, which helped because my parents would have gone through a divorce when we were younger. So that was, we were each other's company and created, you know, the stability to kind of walk through what those changes inevitably bring. Anything, you know, a divorce is always just 
it's too different. It's too new. It brings too many um, unfamiliar circumstances to children. So we kind of anchored each other. Um, we lived with our grandparents for a while. Um, and then, you know, as things settled and stabilized, that changed. Um, but that was a phenomenal experience to me, which is why I think my first two books were, are so meaningful to me. They're like my children. Right. Because it's about the power of grandparents and the power that they have in children's lives and in your family life generally and what you learn from them. Right. Um, well, first I want to say I feel like going through a divorce as a child is probably the only something you can know if you've experienced it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of losing a loved one and, and something and that kind of thing. Um, how did your grandparents kind of step in and how, what was their function like? What was that experience like being around them? Well, what they would have done is provided stability. Yeah. So they were both retired at the time. So they had the luxury, as I'm going to put it, of time, Yeah. you know, to spend, to make sure that there were routines that didn't change. You know, and there's... Our dinner routine, we sit, we talk, we all have dinner together in the evenings. Um, all the little things that you treasure about childhood, learning how to cook, learning how to bake, right. um, learning how to sew. That's the kind of thing I do with my grandmother. Um, my grandfather would have introduced me to music, photography, reading. I mean, he had this fantastic collection of books and beautiful books because they're that was a time when um, books were bound by hand right. and stitched right. and had these cloth covers. So they were actual... They were masterpieces, so to speak, works of art. They were. Um, So they were able to take away from, you know, the trauma of just that upheaval and create some normalcy while my parents kind of settled into what that new routine would have looked like for them as well. Around how old were you at this time? I was about six. Okay, so you were pretty young. Yeah. Did you ever recognize that your being around books at that time was probably like the beginning of your passion to become a writer. Absolutely not. Right, exactly, which is wonderful. Yeah, which And I, I mean, I loved writing. Right. You know, I would do things at home, draw comics, or like you're always doing things. It's part of your play yeah. as a child. Did I think I was actually literally going to publish a book ever? No, not no. then, not then. No. What did your grandparents do in terms of, what were their backgrounds like in terms of jobs and work and stuff? Uh, my grandmother worked interesting background she worked with the jdf Mm pre-independence um and was interesting in accounting that kind of thing but opted when she got married to stay home and look after and raise her children Uh, my grandfather worked in the civil service so he worked with the ministry of finance right so he would have been that was at a time when we're going through independence so he would have been part of that process of helping to really establish our systems post independence and you know establishing UE that's on the board I mean just really some interesting projects but because that involves some amount of traveling my grandma would have opted to be the person at home yeah for their three children yeah what would you say was the next step towards getting to writing a book so finally grandparents played a big part of your life a big role in your life did um you go education wise next and then motherhood and then book Perhaps, yes, yeah. interestingly enough. Um, so, of course, started teaching. And because I started to teach during my gap year, it meant I had to go back to school to study. Um, so it was when I was studying um, and doing my certification that we were given the task of just creating something for a lesson that we had to teach. Um, and, of course, by then, 
actually, let me recap a bit. I had done some initial educational studies, so this is further on, down mm-hmm. the line. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, I would have had my son by then. He would have been about nine, ten. Um, and so I just opted to write a children's book. Right. Because, of course, I like books, right? Um, and then I thought... But this art, so what I know, art, so you had done um, the history degree at UA. Mm-hmm. And then what did you do education-wise after the history degree? So you didn't do law. No, I did not do law, but I then went and did my master's in early childhood education. Right. Um, so I'm doing it backwards. That was not considered certification for teaching. Right. So I had to go back and do that certification. Um, so because I had a degree already, mm-hmm. I went to the University of Toronto and I could do, sit through a one-year program um, that's very intense, but that provides you with a second bachelor's, but right. with a certification, the classroom and this was, experience. this was after the master's? Yeah. Oh, I see what you're right. saying, right. So master's first in early childhood and then As back to do that one year to the get the qualification. Yeah. And then more specialized training in math education. Right. At yeah. this point, you had realized that one, you love to teach, two, you love the math, and three, you love children. Absolutely. So those are three important things on the educational side. Absolutely, yeah. And then, all right, so when it was time to write the book now, you had a son who was around 19. Mm -hmm. All right, tell me a bit about that process of you finding that switching point of, hey, I want to create this thing. What was, what was, what pushed you to want to do it? It was just an assignment. Oh, it was an assignment? Just an assignment. So I created a mini version Mm -hmm. of my, my grandmother book. Um, And it's so weird. Because I've always been surrounded by persons in that age range. So, of course, I would have had a very close relationship with my grandmother. But when I was studying, twice when I, when I lived abroad, my landlord or landlady mm-hmm. was this older woman in their 80s, 90s. Interesting. Yes. So it just kind of almost seemed like I'm, I've always been surrounded. So we have to add the elderly <laughs> to it as well too. <laughs> so it just seemed naturally. It just seemed like a generation that I understood and felt connected with um, and felt that I respected a lot and respected their contribution to their families. Um, so I don't know. It just kind of... And at the, Well, it seems like innately you're a nurturer too because not saying that the elderly and the children are always help, helpless, but maybe mm-hmm. you like these categories of yeah. people because you can assist them in some way or yeah. they assist you too that's the thing that's the that's the lesson that they teach you more than you yes. than you know that's the lesson in the end yeah absolutely so the assignment was given to you by who this the, was part of my um, university of toronto course right to create a what would a what a book would be no create anything i wanted to use in my lesson so oh. it really could have been a book it could oh. have been a set of manipulatives it could have it could have been anything could have been a song could have been a song. I'm not a singer. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely didn't go that route. could have been interpretive dance. Yes. All right. All right. Yeah. But you decided to create this mini book. I went with a book. And mm-hmm. it actually sat. I created it for the course. And it sat on my computer mm-hmm. for about 10 years. And yeah, I just got up one day and thought, remembered it. I thought, wow, I really just need to bring this to life. So mm-hmm. I actually then had to pull it out and add to it and, and formalize and f- and it. Fully told. What, what was the book had, about? This was my grandmother book. This was My Love Has Wrinkles. So it, it was about grandmothers and all of these um, special activities that 
grandmothers and, and, and their grandchildren interact and, and participate in um, what we call them, you know, grandma, gran. Um, who are they defining who they are? Right, and this was based um, on on your relationship, you would say, or are you I think primarily, primarily, yeah, that would have been the foundation. Interesting, I like it. And um, I guess, how did you go about publishing the book? Now, tell us a bit about the self-publishing process. What year was this? This was about two years ago. Okay, so this is recently. This is so recent. we're in the digital age. Yeah. And what was that like? Well, that's the beauty with trying to publish it now, yeah. as opposed to ten years ago. Yeah. Amazon is a little bit more accepted. Um, Self-publishing is really frowned on um, by mainstream publishers because, of course, you don't go through the rigor of having a publisher um, edit it, check it, give it their stamp of approval. But it's an easier process, and it should be a shorter process. Um, And the fact is, it's really difficult to have your manuscript accepted by a publisher. Right. So it really kind of allows you to... Skip some of those old school yeah. steps that probably would be prohibitive, I guess, or yeah. restrictive. Right. Um, it's a little less expensive because some publishers will require you to invest some amount of money upfront, depending. Um, that being said, publishing children's books in particular, up until when I was interested, was mm-hmm. difficult locally. No, it's not. As prohibitive, we actually have a few smaller publishers who are really doing some really good work with children's books and publishing beautiful books. And we're talking about physical books now. Yeah, because right. it's expensive. It's a lot of color. Right. So it's, it's more costly to print. Um, and of course, there's more that goes into it because, of course, yeah, it has to be illustrated. Um, and illustrations are expensive, especially if you want beautiful pictures. Right. Um, so the process is a little bit more time-consuming. And, and so years ago, when I would have actually started investigating the process, um, I had at some point actually thought of, I actually didn't remember this until now, when my son was younger, um, at that stage where he was using board books, those hard books that toddlers use, right. I had actually looked into the process of publishing one here, and most publishers at the time just would not undertake it because for what they'd have to spend... To create the quality book right, that you'd want. You would not recoup that in sales. You right. wouldn't be able to charge that. And even though it's still... Children's books are far more expensive just in purchasing than you find novels are. Um, so, long story short, let me just kind of jump <laughs> over that. Yeah. So Amazon was easier because mm-hmm. I can just upload my files. And right. what they've done over time is actually just created a process that is fairly user-friendly, right? You can actually download a template and mm. you just fill everything in right. and, and they kind of guide you with margins and all the technical stuff that you and I might not be familiar with. Right. Um, so that process is easier. There's no money up front. Um, there's no printing and storage of books because they do what's called print-on-demand. So when someone purchases your book, it's printed and shipped. Right. Um, so that process was easier. What I found a little bit more cumbersome, though was actually finding persons who were reliable and not too expensive mm-hmm. to help me with the illustrations. Right, so your book, the format of it is illustrations. It's a children's book. Right, so it's yeah. illustration with, with text. Well, what, what I ended up going with was photographs. Right. Because I did want illustrations initially. That is really costly mm-hmm. if you, because in my head, I really want something that is just beautiful 
Yeah. I want it to be something that a child sees. And also representative and of what you see in your head too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which may so, have come in many different forms. I'm not sure what it looked like, but I've seen the cover of the book. So Right. So I definitely want, I knew what I wanted. And, and I was knew, the, the um, inclusion of Jamaica important to you too? Absolutely. So the portrayal of a Jamaican grandmother. Yeah. Right. In fact, even just our culture. Right. Um, there's one page in it that has my grandmother lighting a kerosene lamp. Right. Um, very, you know, little. Right. Small but, detail. But very, very unique to our culture yeah. and specific. Yeah. So I actually wanted something that was not just marketable locally, mm-hmm. but that would tap into our diaspora that's yes, abroad. Yes. I, want, I want them to feel included and feel like someone is writing for them. And also reminisce on all these things. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I also wanted something that was recognizable and appreciated internationally. So it couldn't be too Jamaican either. It still needed to represent this concept of the grandparent. Right, the relationship between the grandparent and this grandchild. Right. Tell me what it was like self-publishing without a marketing wheel behind you. I, I released my album as well on my own, and I use like a, I wouldn't call it a hosting, a distributor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people love to ask me about album sales. And I try to explain to them that music streams, pennies. The album, maybe seven US or whatever fraction you get after. iTunes or whoever takes off the, the 30%. You get 70% or whatever. Right. Sometimes 70, 30. Uh, there's not too much to tell them because if it's not popular, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to make large sums of money. Right. So what are some of the, what are some of the marketing challenges that you, you faced? Um, okay, so I have to do my marketing, right, as a self-publisher. Mm-hmm. That's the other aspect of this that we underestimate. Um, I did not have the budget to pay to have someone do my PR for me. So I had to learn how to do it, Yep. <laughs> um, which is fine mm-hmm. because it's really been an interesting process. And they're actually, you know, very accessible, short courses, blogs, the works on how to capitalize on social media right. and how to understand all the metrics and analytics involved. So from that perspective, it, was an, it is and still is enjoyable, the learning process. What was hard was being a new author. Mm. So the children's book market in particular is really difficult to break into right. generally. Right. Um, but as a new author, nobody knows who you are. You know, they know you as or the persons in your sphere of influence know you as their child's teacher or, oh my gosh, that's my sister's friend. But now to establish yourself on this broader scale and have people now have to meet you as an author. And then, of course, you have to prove yourself as, are are my books worth reading and purchasing? So that has been the hardest part because I have to establish a presence. Um, and then you have to make that, that transition in your mind first, too. I said that because I remember not feeling like a songwriter for a while. Uh, Going yes. to music school helped to kind of validate that. But then I started calling myself a songwriter. But it's again, do people respect you as such? And then, yeah, right, then, you have to earn it. And you have to kind of earn it in their eyes, you know? And I laugh sometimes because, you know, people talk about it in the perspective of business and being an entre- entrepreneur. And they tell you, yes, you have to persevere. Yeah, you do. Because yeah. there were times when it was okay, I cannot in any way validate what I'm spending because I'm not earning it in sales, but it's par for the course. It's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Put yourself out there right and, right. And, and spend it. But then the other aspect of, of that whole journey is it's a good thing I didn't know. 
that it was going to be this difficult because maybe I would not have yeah, begun. Had you known you wouldn't start, yes. right? So it's a good thing I was excited about the book. It's a good thing I kind of knew it would take time. Yeah. Did I know it would take this amount of time to build up sales and to build it up consistently and to just trying to develop some kind of interest? No. Yeah. If I knew it was going to take me two, three years to even get to this point, yeah. probably not. I would have shelved it and found something easier to do. Exactly right. How, yeah. how long did it take you to write the book? Um, it didn't take me long. Um, the initial, because remember, that was for that assignment. So I had it done in like two weeks. Oh. But what I published is not what I wrote. Right. And then initially. How, how much more work did you have to put into the final the final baby? A lot. Published? A lot, right? A lot. So that um, took a bit longer. Yeah. Because I had to revisit the text. I had to find children to read it. I had to have other people screen it. In fact, it's interesting. I published it and changed the cover after the fact. Mm-hmm. Just from feedback from sales and from store owners that were carrying my book. Yeah. Um, what they were finding about sales, the sales of the book, and, and how the presentation of the book compared to other children's books on the shelves as well. So the tweaking is actually ongoing. Right, it never really stops. No, and in fact, the hardest part was actually getting, getting the pictures done um, because I went through a number of illustrators who were excited, didn't call me back. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, or who initially, I think, were excited but realized this was not going to pay them as much as a big corporate so eventually it came to life because a friend of my, my son, who is a fantastic photographer, um, volunteered to spend her summer driving around Kingston with me, taking pictures of three or four different families who volunteered to be a part of the project. So the um, pictures were staged to create the scenes yeah. that you wanted for the book. Yeah. yeah, that's how it came to life. And that's an interesting way to do it, actually. Creative, too. Yeah, but because it was out I could, of necessity. Uh, it was, but then I could actually, I didn't have to change my text. Yeah. I knew what I wanted to say, right. and I could create the scenes to go with it, which I couldn't do with the grandfather book. The grandfather book was far more difficult. So you are a creative director now of photography for yeah, your book. Yes, <laughs> I can add that to my add that to your bio. <laughs> All right, so fine. You have, you have a book, you have a little a project that becomes a big book. Mm-hmm. It takes some time. You self-publish primarily online, but you do have you did have physical copies as well, right? I have a few, not much. Not I much. only have one one person. Yeah, my books are only in one store here right. currently. Yeah, and later on you'll tell me exactly where that is so that people can go buy it. And um, the process is pretty much a lot of tweaking, a lot of readjusting. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the end of the day, though. Do you regret? No, absolutely not. Well, clearly, because you went on to your second book, which, which was what? Tell me about this one. That is a grandpa version. Mm-hmm. Um, because I did not want... I don't think we talk about our grandfathers enough. We don't. Um, and to be honest, as, as waiting, I, I, I wasn't actually jumping to it with any kind of urgency. And I went to the pharmacy one evening, and one of the guards at the pharmacy is a grandpa. And he knew at the time they were carrying the grandmother book. Mm -hmm. And I remember he came up to me and he said, wow, I'm so happy that you published this book because nobody talks about us. Interesting. And I said, oh my gosh. It was a security guy, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, you know what? 
I'm making you a promise. I'm going to do a grandfather one as well. Um, so that's how that one was birthed. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting. It was a more difficult process. Um, I didn't have access to um, a photographer um, at the time. I, actually, I had access to a number of persons who are trained in photography but doing other things. Mm-hmm. So I was able to pull in some pictures, use some older pictures I had. It was definitely a community effort. Yeah. Um, and I was really appreciative of that. Um, but you decided to keep that whole picture format given that's how you yeah. did it for the first one. I wanted it to be realistic because my, my, most children's books are hand-drawn, very whimsical. Yeah. My particular philosophy of education at an early childhood level is tied into a particular method philosophy called the Reggio Emilia approach, which comes out of Italy. Mm-hmm. And their perspective is one of realism. Okay. So children should see images of or interact with real things, real people, as opposed to, you know, animated characters, because they're still actually forming their perspective of the world. They're still very literal in how they interpret what they see. They're not going to look at a clone and understand that this is someone in a costume. They're thinking, oh, this is a a clone. This is real. This clone exists in life. Right. So I wanted a book that honored that stage of their development. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wanted real pictures because I wanted, I wanted you to see persons and families that were diverse. Yeah. You know, different races, different ethnicities. And it's hard, I think, to reproduce that with illustrations. Right. So I, I wanted photographs from those two perspectives. I noticed that there is also a workbook for the grandmother. Book there is. is. Would that count as another publication or that's kind of like, just like an offshoot? Do you, do you call that a no, book? No, that's an offshoot. I wouldn't call it a book because it really is the same book. And all I've done is tweaked the sentences. Right. So cut off some of the endings so kids can write in, and their, own in their own experiences yeah, and draw right. their own pictures. Interesting. So, right. so you have the grandmother book, you have the workbook to that book, and you have the grandfather book. I do. And you say that there is another book. There is. Tell me about. Or can I? Can you tell me about this? Is it? Is that um, secret? I can't. I won't go into the name. Right. Fine. Until it's released. But the idea is. What was the second one? What was the grandfather book called? So one was. Love. There's love has wrinkles, which right. is grandma, right. and love has strong hands, which nice. is grandpa. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wanted something for a slightly older age group. So those are for kids in a three to six-year-old age range. And I wanted something that was a little older. Fictional. Mm-hmm. And it's a story about the, the, the main character is a little boy um, who I just love. I love his personality. Right. He's, he's just so smart. But he's so cool. Yeah. You know, and everybody likes him. Right. He has lots of friends. He's a lovely person. Um, a, a, a little humorous. Right. <laughs> I think he thinks he's a little bit more funny. Than he, yeah, actually he actually is, is right? Um, but he's just so lovable. Um, and I wanted something that didn't just show friends and that journey of learning how mm-hmm. to be friends. You know, all the values that come into teaching kids how to be better people. Right. You know, the trust factor and um, no bullying. So it, it, it's actually as the beginning of a series. I actually have the first two or three is, is the- written. So a lot of these themes aren't in the first book only. It, it covers through, it, it threads through the other books, but there's math in it as well. So I wanted, oh. in a very fun, in a not very obvious way, to show math 
and to show whether it's math itself or just an attitude and a, a perspective towards math. Um, just it's, you know, to, to throw it into a story so it's not threatening. It's not a textbook. Yeah, yeah. You know? You've done something pretty interesting in this third book, though, because, and I like it, I don't know, I guess it's relatively deliberate, but you're now connecting your other dots together in, in your books. So you teach math. Mm-hmm. And then now you're bringing it into the story, but not in such a forceful and, and yeah. a, a harsh way. I like that. It's a cool idea. And I wish you guys were here to see Lisa a while ago as she was describing her character. <laughs> like she became a totally different person. And this is how you know when somebody is passionate about yeah. something. Because just a while ago, I think she went into another, another space. Yeah, I, re- I really like him. I like, Especially I, as I you described one. him. <laughs> And I can imagine when you're actually writing, it's probably that same space in your head that's going, that's translating into the text. Wow. So my next person is an interesting one because the desire to continue writing books, Mm -hmm. what is driving it? Is it driven by a love of writing? Is it now becoming so financially lucrative that you couldn't stop? Is it that you're such a popular author that you couldn't stop? Um, no, I'm still, or, I'm working on the, on on, the, on numbers two and three. <laughs> so no, it's right. not. It's not financially lucrative yet. Right. I'm not so famous yet. Yeah. Um, but I'm really enjoying it, and I think what it is is having taught for so long. Yeah. It's allowing me to use my experience in teaching in a different way. Yeah, because in essence, books really become teaching as well. Well, it's not only that, but it's just, I think having taught, I mean, okay, so I didn't know how to say it. So I've been teaching for about 20 years. <laughs> Nobody would believe. Which is a long time. Yeah. And I think it's just wanting to do something a little different. Yeah. So I love teaching, don't get me wrong. But sometimes you want to take that energy mm-hmm. and use it in some other avenue, whether it's to create products for the classroom in this case, is creating books, but taking that expertise and channeling it yeah. into other areas, just for a change, just for something different. Wow. Is there anything else you want to tell me about your books? Because I want to ask you a few other things. Um, no, I think, I think we've covered. When, when should we expect book number three? I'm hoping in the next couple of months. I actually just signed off on the final edits for the illustrations, um, which are just beautiful. I found it was so it was so you funny. You find an illustrator for this one. This is a second illustrator. Mm-hmm. So I actually had found an illustrator, um, paid for those photos, but needed more, um, and wasn't able to connect with him after that. Mm-hmm. And this is actually the friend of a good friend who was recommended, and he has done an amazing. So I've, I've, Re-illustrated, of course, because he has his own style. style, He has his own image of the character. Like he, his interpretation is totally different from the first artist. Yeah, Um, but it's right. He really brought it to life in a way that I just didn't imagine. Yeah, or I imagined it's what I wanted and didn't know that somebody could do that for me. That's a good feeling. Yeah. No, it's wonderful. It's lovely what he did with it. And um, funnily, you say that it brings me back to this is entrepreneurial talk, though. But um, when in these processes of creating how much you have to be willing to go back to the drawing board, to try mm-hmm. new things, to trust the process. It's kind of scary, and I'm sure it costs some money too, but at the end of the day, you end up getting something that you really love. And I think that's what's important. I think you need to not compromise mm-hmm. on your dream, mm-hmm. right? I, I think if you know, and you would know this with I your music, I'm sure you're not releasing something that you're not happy with because yeah. it has to 
it has to represent you, that mm-hmm. there has to be some integrity in the process. Yeah. Would I, as a teacher, pick up this book and buy it for my class? If I cannot do that, I'm not selling it. It has to be something that I would use yeah. and share with children or buy as a gift. I agree. So no compromise on the integrity, no compromise on the quality no. of, mm-hmm. of your vision. No. Yeah, see it through to the end. I had a friend who was helping with my album, and that was all she always told me. She's like, do you like it? Are you happy with it? Are you proud of it? It's something that you would love. Yeah. And that was kind of always what we came back to for every piece of it. And at the end of the day, when you were finished, you were just happy with it, whether other people liked it or not. No, you have to be happy. <laughs> you have to be yeah. happy with it. Wow. Well, I wanted to tap into the fact that you have always been a creative. Tell us a bit about the other things that you do in the creative world. So you are not only a writer, but you have been a dancer for many years. Though you may say you're not dancing much now, but mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about just being involved in the arts in general. Um, wow, I wouldn't have traded it for the world. But I think I was, I feel as if when I first joined the dancing world semi-professionally, mm-hmm. um, I think it was the best time for dancing in Jamaica. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so, of course, my journey is fairly stereotypical. You know, when I was younger, mommy had me in ballet classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, it would have been Mrs. Facey and Mrs. Spence who had their ballet studios. So they were kind of the forerunners. But the quality of teaching was phenomenal. Um, and then I moved from there. And I don't remember how I ended up dancing with Tony Wilson. I think I would have gone to watch one of his performances, mm-hmm. decided that I wanted. He used to choreograph for JMTC. He sure did. I, yeah. I so I would have seen, yeah. I would have heard the name through yes. those avenues, having had lots of friends who participated in JMTC. Right. So this is when I was in about fifth, sixth form. And I had decided that I really did not enjoy ballet as much anymore and I wanted to try a different style of dancing and he I mean of course brought great experiences to the table because he would have danced in New York with Alvin Ailey I think at some point maybe danced there to Harlem I don't remember all the details on that end Um, and would have come back danced with NDTC and then left just to form his first company his own company Mm -hmm. and he was the only one at the time that was experimenting with dance theater so the concept of a full-length production, but through dance. Yeah. And I felt so privileged to be a part of that process. It was not something that was accepted willingly yeah. because it was new and it was cutting edge. But it really stretched me as an artist because, of course, performing a dance is challenging in and of itself. But performing... Much less as a part of a production. As yeah, a, yeah as, a, as an actual persona for two hours. Yeah. And, and conveying that information without any words. Um, and he had done a number of them. He had done Red City. He had done Rose Hall. Yeah. Is I his think. most popular yeah. one. My favorite one was one that he did about a girl who had ended up in music, the music world, and ended up in a very abusive relationship and drugs and work. I mean, that was harder to do. That was my favorite and the least well-known breaking the mirror. Mm -hmm. Um, But he, he had access to phenomenal dancers through NDTC. Sure did, yeah. Many of whom are are no longer alive, but had fantastic training both locally and abroad. And because dancing was still, you know, it, it, it didn't have, I don't know, our dancers were well regarded. 
but it was a difficult journey that you had to commit. If you got went into dancing, you had better love it. Right, 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 right. So they brought a different level of passion to it than I think dancers may have right now. I could be wrong. Yeah, and I'm sure they'll debate otherwise. Right? Yeah, but we had access to like Patsy Ricketts, Neville Black. Yeah. Um, so they would come into our classroom. So we had this fantastic training of different genre with all these wonderful dancers. And then he would take a chance on us as dancers. If you showed interest, it didn't matter. Right, he'd push you. If you were young mm -hmm. or much younger than. Mm -hmm. He would push you and he forced me to stretch my limits and to take risks and to face my fears as a dancer that have had ripple effects for me in real life. Tell me, I want you to spill off into that, which really is my next question, which are what are some of the foundation qualities that you think the arts teaches you um, in life? Well, it teaches you commitment, right? Yeah. Because you cannot improve if you don't train if you don't practice, and if you don't practice regularly. Um, and as a dancer in particular, the body is ungrateful. If you stop dancing for three weeks, you might as well have stopped dancing for two months. <laughs> right. Um, so there's that aspect of it. If of you're going to come into something. And discipline, yeah? Teamwork. Yeah. Other people are relying on you. Even if you have the lead role, you're still part of this larger process. Mm -hmm. um, people are feeding off of your energy. So you have to show up and be your best at all times or you're letting everyone else down because the fact is we can feel it. Yeah. We're all in this space. You have to bring your A game and not be afraid of challenges. So I remember when he cast me as... Actually, the, I was sharing the lead with, in Breaking the Mirror and I'd get up and I'd dance and he's like, oh, you know, you can bring more. But I felt so intimidated as a young dancer mm -hmm. trying to take on such a phenomenal role. Yeah. But he kept pushing, he kept pushing, and I had to figure it out, and I had to find it somewhere inside to not feel intimidated by this project, but to own it. And I think in everything else, in owning parenthood, in owning my journey as an author, in owning my journey as a teacher, and yeah. evolving, yeah. There, you have to always face you know, that fear, that challenge, that it's difficult, can I manage, all those doubts. Right. And... and be able to leave it and push forward. I, I think I got that from dancing. I have nothing to add to that. I agree. And I got that from the arts as well. And I mean, yeah. we, we forget that you always have the option of cowering down and kind of choosing not to do stuff. You don't have to. Mm -hmm. But life is not set up that way. It's just one challenge after the next, after the next. You just have to kind of push yeah. through. Tell me a bit about motherhood now. Where is your child? Is, you had a son, right? I do have he's a how, son. He's a big man now. Who is now 20. Is he in Jamaica? No, he's in university. So, um, what? So, yeah, he's in university in, in the States. Mm -hmm. How is he doing? Oh, he's doing really well. Is he, is he studying writing, <laughs> law, no. <laughs> teaching? No. He Dancing. really likes, he, he loves economics. That's okay. what he's studying. Mm -hmm. um, I think the key for me more than anything else, I'm not really too concerned about what he's studying. I'm more concerned about whether he enjoys it or not. Yeah. Um, with a little bit of pragmatics, right? Because certainly as a teacher, one of the things I want him to be aware of is, yes, you do what you want to enjoy, but you do have to be realistic about how you will make a living out of this as well. Yeah. So trying to get him to see that balance. Yeah. Um, but he's thriving, and really and truly that's your goal as a parent, right? To make sure that they get there, yeah. that they are 
good people, that they're kind people, that they have something positive to contribute to the community. Yeah. Um, that he is making the best of opportunities that present themselves. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, in that regard, I think he's doing well. And I like the part that you say, being pragmatic, because it's not about just um, doing what you love, but again, figuring out ways to make it work for you. Mm-hmm. And you have to kind of be thinking about that. A lot of times when we start doing things we love, we're not really in a space to think about how it will make you earn because you're so passionate about it. And sometimes you can just jump off the cliff and just go bloop. <laughs> yeah. And that's that. All right. We are in the rapid fire question section as we come close to the wrap. And I want you to tell me a few books. I really want to put a number on it. Some of the books that have had the greatest impact on you in life that you've read. Anything that comes to the top of it. Maybe three at least. Oh my gosh. Is that a lot? No, you know, you're no, a reader. You know, you know, the, you know they're all going to be like you're, yeah, bo- children's jum- books, right? Jumbled up in your head, right? <laughs> no, they're going to be children's books. And as a reader, it's probably like the worst <laughs> question you could ask a reader because they have a lot of books I that know, they like. I know, and there's so many different genres and you can't compare. If you ask me, I'm just going to say The Alchemist, <laughs> number oh one. Oh my gosh, which I've never read, by the way. What? I know. You need to read that. I really loved um, C.S. Lewis's books, The Tales of Narnia. Okay, yeah. Actually, I don't think that's a read that. I'm sure I've, I've said that wrong, but I've read all of them in the series. It's a book of seven. Mm-hmm. I thought they were really well written. Right. Just from a craft perspective. Beautifully, vi- yes. Yeah, imagery, oh my gosh, yeah. very descriptive. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I loved what he was projecting as well, his messages. Um, so I love those. Oh my gosh. <laughs> See, they're all children's books. I collect children's books. That's all right. Well, this is why you're writing children's books. Yeah. I throw another one at me. I haven't read a lot of children's books. Oh my gosh. There's a beautiful, and the name is slipping me, so I can't even. Um, maybe it's not worth mentioning. It's a beautiful book that looks at um, the history of how cinema developed. Okay. Um, and what I love about it is that it's half of it is in drawings, in pencil drawings. So mm. it's from the times of. The subways, you know, you know, true kind of, not even regular watches. Right, right. Um, oh my gosh, I can't believe I can't remember the name. But, but it was it a kid's, beautiful. It's a kid's book. It's a kid's book. Interesting. But it's his, it's historical fiction. Yeah. So it tells you, it it traces you through the de- early development of robotics mm-hmm. and the early development of the cinema and what that took. Because of course. We used to think that if you were on television, that you were going to capture your soul. Like it was, they were on so many levels. Right, right, right. Um, it was a big and right deal. right now, social media is capturing our souls anyway. <laughs> you know, so I love that one. Um, I really enjoyed Lee Kuan Yew's first book, where he traced his development into his history and Singapore's history and his emergence as a world leader and what that journey was like. All right, I'll take that. I'll take yeah. that. I'll say as a reader, it's probably hard because you have a lot of books floating around. Oh my gosh, in your mind. yes. What do you see happening for Lisa McLean in the future as an author, as a human, as a mother, as a everybody? What's, what, what do you see in, the, in your future? Great things. I love that. I, ca- I can't, you know, I don't want to, to say specific things because I feel like there are just so many possibilities. Yeah. And there's so many possibilities, possibilities of things, of course, that I want, that I dream of, that I wish. But so many things that I may never have thought of and that may present themselves. So great things. Great Great things. Well, unknown opportunities will remain unknown until they unfold, right? There you go. And my very last question for you, it says that one of your favorite things to do apart from reading a book is to drink tea. Oh my gosh, Um, yes. (laughs) And tea tea that we've actually prepared and haven't been drinking because we've been talking. (laughs) What is your favorite tea? Chai. Chai. Mm -hmm. Are there any benefits to chai? 
supposedly yes for your digestive system because it has all of those wonderful spices in it yeah. cinnamon and nutmeg and pimento and so it actually is supposed to up the health benefits of tea because tea is really healthy okay. just saying it is it is maybe it is. not in the quantities that i drink but <laughs> <laughs> i like yes. that it was my final question this is my final question if you were to speak to a young author someone who's writing who thinks that they perhaps they're onto something good what are some of the things you'd want to tell them to do um don't give up yeah um stay true to your your vision um don't compromise your product at all um and just take your time take your time and make the right connections learn the process do your due diligence do your research to make it happen yeah yeah when you wrote your first two books you know you like my last question is now three three questions when you wrote the, wrote the first two books were your grandparents um alive when they were published my grandfather wasn't mm-hmm. um he died when i was my first year of university as i started mm-hmm. like i think the week before i started but it actually was very important for me that my grandmother was able to see the first book and she died shortly after um but it, to me it was a very important tribute that she needed to experience because i think as um i think as women in particular um especially when you make the decision to give up your career um which she would have done give up her own personal dreams and aspirations which she did to raise her children and certainly in retirement for the both of them to agree that they would assist you know with stabilizing the three of us at that very difficult time i don't think she ever truly realized the impact that she had had on us and i thought it was very important for me to be able to say to her which i had but to also have it in in print because no this is something that's permanent and tangible yeah for her to see because there's a there's a lovely picture in it it's one of my favorite pictures in the book itself that has her not just with us her grandchildren but with her great grandchildren because she had she would have known both my son and my sister's daughter um for her to see that to know that your legacy is real and your legacy is going to continue to live on even if you think that you haven't left one right you know that was very important so she was ill. she died it was published in march and she died early june she was able to respond yeah, to man, it. what she, she said about the book she didn't say much right she didn't say much like um but she smiled right. and she 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 enjoyed the process of you know being part of the pictures and so she you knew she enjoyed it but she was definitely not uh, a woman of many words either right um but she said enough yeah to be like oh okay thank you you know i got that from her and this is where i say okay thank you so much for being on this podcast we have the wonderful lisa mclean she is mom dancer teacher granddaughter <laughs> author and um it's an honor always to interview people who do what they love who impact other people who inspire them who teach them 
and who continue to create things that actually have meaning to them and hopefully will have meaning to the world as well. Lisa, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I I've, hope you I've enjoyed, enjoyed your first podcast. I did, yes. <laughs> but I think that's because you're such a good host. Well, so, I'll thank say you thank you, thank you. Bye, guys. See you next week. So that was episode 24 with my wonderful guest, Lisa McLean, and her awesome story. What I want you guys to do is always to go to the website, which is talktruthja.com, and check out the show notes. You may also be able to see the show notes in whichever podcasting app you use to listen to this show. And the reason why you need to go to all of my show notes is because I have wonderful information about our guests. I have their bios most times, our websites for their companies, our businesses, social media, emails, just a way that you can reach out to the guest if the guest resonates with you. And I'm sure they'd love if you send them an email and said, hey, this story really touched them or a direct message or something. Just hit them up and show them some love for being so vulnerable and coming to talk truth. I'm sure you done it already. So reach out to them, show them some love. And again, it's always a pleasure being here. As usual, please go and give the podcast a rating. It really helps. Go to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and review. Listen, share, subscribe. Tell somebody else about it. Follow us on Instagram at talk.truthja and follow us on Twitter at TalkTruthJA. Follow me on Instagram at Mario Evan, that's M-A-R-I-O-E-V-O-N. And um, screenshot the show if you like it. Show us a picture of what um, you liked. Show us a quote, anything you want to do. Just show us some love and tag me, tag the show. And the hashtags that we use are TalkTruthJA and me TalkTruth. But you TalkTruthJA, that's the most common one. Why it's another week. You don't know. We're going to keep it going for season two. Always a pleasure being here. It's your boy, Mario Evan. And you're listening to Talk Truth, a place where your truth can become your power and set you free. Until next time, guys.